Bustin' Loose Baseball, hosted by Grant Paulson and Toby Altizer, gives you in-depth analytics and interviews on everything baseball in the nation's capital. Now, here's your host, Grant Paulson and Toby Altizer. For more on how we got here, that the Nats were making so many changes, let's get to our conversation with Barrys Verluga. And we are joined by our buddy Barrys Verluga on Boston Loose Baseball. Barry, what do you make of the offseason of kind of turmoil to this point? It started with a lot of people losing jobs, moving on from folks. We didn't know who would be replaced. And they have made some big moves now, including bringing over uh, a person who's responsible for a lot of the drafts the Orioles have had. Where are you at on some of the things they're doing? I kind of think it was a necessary reset. Um, and if you go back to the Nationals drafts, and you can have the, the chicken and egg discussion of, is this a draft problem or is it a player development problem? And that's you know a, a baseball truism at almost every franchise has that issue at some point, but the last player that this franchise really drafted and developed um, to become a, a impact big leaguer was Anthony Rendon with the sixth pick in, in 2011. And there's a lot of reasons why, you know, that did they um, not have first round picks some years because they signed free agents? Yes. But they also didn't hit on guys in the fourth round, you know, there's no Spencer Strider. There's no Michael Harris second. Like there's, there's not a player that they, that really impacted them in a positive way over more than a decade. Um, Chris Klein, who is someone I've known a long time. Um, he's Mike Rizzo's minor league roommate uh, and teammate in, in a ball um, and has run those drafts. A lot of them really successfully before that Uh is a, a an old school scout. And I think what this move does in bringing in Danny Haas, um, who people around the league have said, whoa, that's a good hire. Um, I think it makes that room younger and a little more process oriented than the old school. You know, Mike Rizzo is an old school scout too. He loves the eye test. He believes in scouting that way. But I think that this is an acknowledgement that um, the process needed updating um, because, you know, whatever you think of that old school process, it wasn't yielding results for this franchise. And you had mentioned a reset of the front office and some of the, the people that were fired and bringing in new blood for that. Is that what you view this as, as just something where they're maybe changing philosophy, trying to update things and bringing in some fresh eyes, or is this something where some of the scouts maybe won't get brought back? Is this a downsizing of sorts? Well, I think it's both. I think it's a, um, a streamlining and, you know, where the learners are involved, you, you always wonder, is this straight cost cutting? Um, I think it shows the fact that they made outside hires at those top two amateur scouting positions, uh, one from the Diamondbacks, one from the Orioles, um, that it's, it's not just a, we're going to do more with less. Um, I don't think they'll have the same uh, level of pro scouts. Some, some of the longtime old guys that uh, hung out with Rizzo and Rizzo like to have around as, as sounding boards won't be brought back. I do think there's a little bit of a, a cost, um, you know, a, a budget 
issue, but I, I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing in this case. And I'm not trying to stand up for, for their, um, you know, for the way they, they view spending. Um, but I, I, I really believe that this, that front office needed fresh eyes. It's very, they haven't brought in a lot of people from other organizations in, in recent years. Um, a lot of familiar faces who have been there a long time are still there and that's not bad, but I, I think given the results um, in the, in draft, in the draft and in player development, um, I think it was, it's fair to say like, let's try something new. I'm really excited about Brad Selick, who they brought over from the Orioles who, who ran Baltimore's drafts. I would just poach as many people from Mike Elias's staff as possible. I mean, we've talked a lot, Barry, and we've had you on G&D and on this show, and we've referenced for years their draft history. You've written about it a ton. That guy has been a part of a factory that has done something that, frankly, I'm not sure any team's ever done in terms of churning out prospects over the last few years. They're going to have a third straight season starting with another number one prospect in every top 100. Uh, what what a coup that is for them. I, am I missing something? I feel like that's huge. No, I think it's absolutely huge, Grant. And I think um, it's important to note that the the Orioles core, it involves some, you know, one ones in, in um, Ashley Rushman and, and you know, Jackson Holiday on the way. But, you know, Gunnar Henderson wasn't a first yeah, I guess technically wasn't a first round pick. Like they, they have drafted and found players in all man, all kinds of ways. And, and that's what the Nationals have, have not done. I mean, if, if the Nats hadn't made the um, Soto trade, which really, really reinvigorated their, their system, um, you're, you're looking at a very, very thin minor league uh, system. And, and now, I think just in talking with people there over the years, a little bit of the frustration um, with the, the results in the draft was that it was not clear kind of what the, the process was. Like, what did, what did they, were they, you know, hanging everything on velocity or exit velocity? Or what, what, what metrics were they looking at that they were like, we, we like this in players? And I think with, the new hierarchy there, I don't know what the metrics will be, but I think there will be, this is the kind of player, this is the profile that fits what we want. Go find these players. I, th I think it'll be much more kind of understandable, linear, organized. Um, and, and you would think that that process would lead to better results. That's a great point. That, like, what is their identity developmentally? It's really interesting. Uh, Barry Sferluga with us on BLB. So I don't know if this matters, and maybe that'll be your answer, but I am fascinated by why did they do all this now? Did, do you think the learners to keep Mike Rizzo essentially said we're going to do this, or do you think Rizzo kind of decided at some point along the way for the first time in a long, long time, hey, we need to change a lot of things? Like, how did we get here? I think both can be true, and I do think, you know, Rizzo believed, at least in the amateur scouting um, world, that, that that job is a younger man's job now. Uh, as I mentioned, Klein, minor league teammate with Rizzo, they're both like in their early 60s. That is a job. I mean, I, I spent time on the road with Chris Klein 
years ago. Um, and I was there for like four days, jumping from the SEC tournament to the ACC tournament, taking early morning flights, struck through the night, you know, uh, four days wore me out. Um, and, and those guys do that for months at a time, um, you know, between the early part of college practices in, in January, right through the draft, which is now in, in July. Um, so I think kind of a re-energizing there is, is a Rizzo initiative. Um, and with Johnny DePuglia uh, in the international side, who, you know, is famous for signing Juan Soto and Victor Robles and, and others, um, I think that was a, you know, it, that had kind of played its course. The, the Dominican um, program, the, the uh, minor league teams, the team over there was kind of in disarray. They had a terrible record. Um, and I, I, I just think it's, you know, Theo Epstein is famous for saying, uh, taking that old Bill Walsh phrase saying like, after you've done something for 10 years, it's, it's time for a change. And I think there's an element of, of that here. Now, I don't want to ignore the fact that the learners are very, the learners still on the team. Um, even though I firmly believe that they want to sell it for the right price, um, and but as long as they own it, they're very conscious of what they're spending and what they're spending it on. So, I do think that there's a kind of a hybrid thing here where where Mike Rizzo, independent of anything from ownership, um, felt like we've got to make some changes. Um, but also, uh, I think at the same time, it can be true that ownership can come in from the side and say, "Hey, uh, we got to cut cut some costs here." Yeah, and with Mike Rizzo, we we were advocates to keep him around. Obviously, he's a World Series winning general manager, but ultimately deciding that he wants to maybe go a new school approach. How approach? How would you see that? How do we tangibly know that they're kind of putting in more analytics? Is it something as simple as you know down the line we're seeing more prospects in the national system, or is it something that we'll be able to tangibly see over the next couple of years? Well, it better result in in more prospects and, and more consistent drafts. I mean, that's what this is this is all about. I mean, they, you know, this offseason is not the offseason that they invested in analytics. I mean, they they have built their own um, system over the years, uh, just like every you know front office has. I, I think because Rizzo is and was a scout and loves scouts, um, the Nats get branded as just like we only do things the, the scout way. And I, I just, I don't think that's, that's true. They have, I think it's 19 people in the an analytics department. I might be slightly off on that. What do we use those people and the, the um, equipment that they've invested in over the last several years? What do we use them for? What's the end game here? So I'm not going to pretend to know the ins and outs of, of what they're, mechanism looks like but we can all see what the results have been and that is not producing impact big leaguers either for this roster or that can be used in trade to get impact big, big leaguers um so i think the way that it manifests itself is if if in three years they have stacked some drafts up and i think the last couple drafts have been better in, in fairness um but if they've stacked some drafts up that you know, they don't have to make a Soto trade, that they now have the inventory to do what Mike Rizzo always did at the trade deadline when they were good, is, you know, go fix the bullpen, go get as Dribble Carrera, go get um, Mark Melanson, like have the players that other 
teams will want in your system so that you can improve your major league roster on the fly. Yeah, and you had mentioned ownership in there as well. What is the update on that? Because it seems like we were hearing a lot of that last offseason. Is that something we're going to hear again this offseason, or is it something that's died down until we really see that maybe Leonsis is upping his offer? What's the update on ownership? Well, there's really only one candidate to buy, and that's Ted Leonsis. And my understanding is he's still very, very interested. But I'm sure, you know, Grant, we've talked about this before. Like, what do we know about the learners? Like, they determine what they think the cost of something is, the value of something is. And if they think uh, the value is 10 and you offer 9.99999, like they don't, they don't take it. So, I, I mean, Nationals Park is named Nationals Park because they determine what they think the value of naming rights deal would be. They have not received that value. And so, so they decide that zero is better than whatever the value they were offered is. So um, the difference between this offseason and last offseason is that you're not, unless somebody comes out of left field, which is always possible, you're, you're not dealing with, okay, are there five or six bidders in, in line here? It's either Ted Leonsis or the learners will own the team in 2024. Barry, thank you as always. Appreciate it, guys. Thanks. Barry Sverluga of the Washington Post on Boston Loose Baseball. Tone, any final thoughts? Yeah, so I was thinking of this comparison, Grant, uh, for one of the Nationals' top prospects, Brady House. I'm curious, just off the top of your head, who do you think my comparison or who would your player comp be? Ooh, okay. Um, I haven't thought. I, I'd have to give that more thought. I, okay. I don't know. Yeah. Well, and I'll give you mine. And I thought maybe I'm a little crazy on this, but then I looked at some numbers and it's very similar. And I mentioned earlier, Gunnar Henderson. They're very similar players to me. And listen to these because it's kind of freaky. So Gunnar Henderson debuted at just over two months after his 21st birthday. Brady House is going to turn 21 June 4th of next year. That would mean August 6th debut next year. In his age 20 season for Gunnar Henderson, he spent his time at A-ball, a plus ball and double A. Brady House this past year, his age 20 season, spent time at A ball, A plus ball, double A. Stats comparison for those guys. Henderson spent 105 games in his age 20 season, 463 at bats, 103 hits, 32 triples and doubles, 17 homers, 74 RBIs, a 258, 350, 476 uh, slash line, 826 OPS. For Brady House, very similar stuff. 106 hits compared to 103 and 374 plate appearances. He had 24 doubles and triples, 12 homers, 47 RBIs. He had a better batting average at 312 compared to 258. Better on base, 365 compared to 350. And better slug, 497 compared to 476 for Gunnar Henderson. Mm. That's a so. And he spent more time at double-A than Gunner did at double-A. Gunner only got to double-A for five games in his age 20 season. Brady House spent 36 games there. And so I was like, okay, stats comparisons are similar. Listen to how MLB Pipeline had their tools graded after their age 20 season. Gunner Henderson, overall 55, hit 55, power 60, run 50, arm 60, field 50. Exact same thing for Brady House right now. The oh. exact same. And so I think if you're looking at guys, and I've said this before, I'm not much of a hot take guy, Grant, 
But if I had to bet on one guy becoming a star for the Nationals out of the national system, James Wood has a sky-high ceiling. Dylan Cruz looks like about as sure a thing as you can find. I'm going with Brady House. I think he's going to be spectacular. Love it. Fascinating juxtaposition with those numbers there is pretty good. I mean, House's size, he's just so big. He's listed 6'3", 215. And I guess, is, is, I guess Gunner is probably similar. I've interviewed both and stood next to both. I don't remember being as taken aback with how big Gunnar Henderson is. Um, having said that, they're both big, strong, 215, 220-pound guys. They're listed about the same, to your point. Gunnar Henderson listed at 6'3", same as House. Um, so, yeah, that, that's really interesting. And, I mean, and, for, and for me, the thing with Brady House is you didn't see as much power this year compared to what Gunnar showed at that age. But I'm not worried about power at all. I think that Gunner has maybe a little bit more speed and he can play shortstop and third base. And I don't see Brady House playing shortstop and third base in the big leagues. But I think that Brady House is a guy that can project to be maybe not an MVP level, but very close. And maybe he can get to that point because I think he can hit 30, 35 home runs, drive in 100 every single year. And he's shown, even at this young age, going up levels I think at double A, he had over 300 this year. Like this is a guy that can hit for average. He can hit for power. He's got all of the tools. And so that's why, you know, there's little bits and pieces that you're worried about with some of the other guys. And for me with Brady house, I just don't know that there are any, the only thing for him would be injury concerns, but when he's been healthy in the national system, he's hit. And so if you can keep him healthy, keep him progressing, I think he could be an absolute star. I love it. Uh, we are looking for ideas for the offseason, things you guys want us with some extra time now to take deep dives into. You can tweet Toby at Toby underscore Altizer. I'm at Grant H. Paulson. You can, of course, just leave comments. That's always very easy on, on the uh, pods that you listen to as well. Uh, next up in our schedule is a deep dive into the system and going player by player and breaking down the seasons that everybody had. But if there are things you'd like to hear us talk about or people you'd like to hear on the podcast, please uh, let us know and we will effort to make that happen as we're going to be keeping the pod going throughout the offseason with at least, uh, I guess, one pod a week. And then if news breaks, we will uh, get you more on the Nationals. For producer Darris and Toby, I'm Grant saying so long. Until next time, this has been Bustin' Loose Baseball. <laughs>